0: You're listening to Bethany Radio. Mark content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I invite you to turn the book of Joshua again, chapter 4. Today is where we're at, looking. Joshua chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, I invite you to just find one in a chair in front of you. Go through the first five books. It's about this far into your. Bible, Joshua chapter 4. We'll read from the whole chapter in just a little bit. As you're getting there, we'll show our picture from last week from. Where's Weston at? There's Weston. So, Weston drew this for us last week. Some of you got the crayons going already. Maybe you're already getting ready to draw again, but this is from Weston. They're asking the question, How do we get across? And they're carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. How do we get across? And we saw last week, God separate the waters and they went into a heap north up near Adam and they went across on dry ground. So thank you, Weston. We're going to continue. Chapter three just kind of goes into four. They're they they're connected together. And we want to look through chapter four to glean from God's word what we can see here. So I'm going to read um, the entire chapter and then we'll go through and look at it. One reason to do that is to help you. You know, I'm familiar. I've been Studying it during the week, but to just help you read the chapter, familiarize, okay, it's this section, it's this story, so that as we go through it again, you're already familiar with it. So, reading it more than once is helpful. So, let's read through it and just listen to the narrative um, through Joshua chapter 4. God's Word. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men, men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the covenant had stood, and they are there to this day, for the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste, and when all the people had finished passing over the ark of the Lord, and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben, and the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks As before, the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. And they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever." Let's pray again. Father, there's much back and forth in this passage. There's much passing over. As I just read it again, this passing over again and again. Lord, direct us to what we need to learn and glean from this passage before us. Only by Your Spirit, Lord, we trust that You would implant these truths in our hearts. You would guide and guard my words. Lord, that the people gathered in this room, each of our hearts, that we would know there is no other God. You are the living God, and you do mighty things like cut off water from a Jordan. And if you do those mighty things, you do other mighty things. And may our trust for you grow through our time in this Word, and may our proclamation be one of joy to share about our God. And may we fear you like Israel here. We pray for your guiding hand during our time. In Jesus' name, amen. We talked last week about a big object lesson of the Jordan. I have a very small one this morning. It's one rock. Some of you, my family, know where this is from. Maybe others i have told you. It's got the initials HP, so I would remember where this rock came from. And uh, I think I've got a picture of it up here. It came from this, this mountain in Colorado. It's called Horn Peak. That's where I get the HP from. This was a mountain right by our seminary. Hannah and I would go on dates and walk through this little meadow, whatever, and look up, and the tip of it is Horn Peak. And you would climb. Many people would come out in this area of Colorado. They climb a lot of mountains, but this one in particular. And a lot of people, guys from the seminary, would climb this one. And in our last summer... We said we'll do it, and we went to do it. And I was so sore the next; it was terrible, but it was great. It was great, and I have lots of memories. But this is one of them. This came from the top of that mountain. It's like thirteen thousand four fifty, so it's not a fourteener, but it's close enough. And uh, that rock came. I got one more picture. That's the mountain. This is up us at the top. My boys are a little younger at this point, but that's the feeling. Just George's face kind of says it all. Just kind of, he's on the way left just oh we made it finally and it was a long journey and there's memories we could share along the way coming back down was harder even I think our legs were so tired and yet it was a wonderful day to just see see God provide and grow and grow in my kids but it's a memory I've just shared it with you I'm excited to share it's a fun story and a great time I've got a rock to remember a couple of these that we picked up I've got a picture up here to show you, and it's a memory, it's a remembrance of that time. Thank you, guys. Our text today in Joshua has the same idea of these this memorial of stones to remember, to remember how how Joshua led them, and then to remember their mighty God, who worked a miracle among them. We're going to get into the text. And as we get into the text, at times, as we've read through it this morning, perhaps you've already noticed, the passage seems to do kind of a back and forth, and there's certain points where it's really difficult to keep track of just where everybody is in the Jordan. We're somewhere, and then it seems like priests are going out of the Jordan, but then they're, they're back, and it's kind of here, and we're, just, we're, quite, we're not quite sure where everything's at. Then we've got the eastern tribes, these 40,000 armored men coming through the river. Uh, where does it all... How does it work? It doesn't read maybe super smooth to us. At least if we're, in our mindset, trying to make a chronological, okay, they stepped in and then Joshua moved here and then the eastern tribes, and then if we're trying to do that, it's kind of hard. But I think the author, Joshua or somebody else, I think the author is teaching something. He's not just narrating a story, but there's teaching going on in this passage. I think you can divide this passage into two parts. Part number one is verses 1 through 14. 1 through 14. It ends with a summary that on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. I think that's one part we'll look at. And then part number two, 15 to the end, through 24. Part number two, which um, Joshua then ends speaking, I think really of the exaltation of the Lord, whose hand is mighty, and whom Israel ought to fear forever. So 1 through 14, kind of this exaltation of Joshua. 15 through 24, an exaltation of the Lord, even though he's the main character. He's the one parting the the Jordan and all of that. Kind of these two parts. And then it's built around this idea of remembrance, of memorials, of stone. So let's look at the first set the commands and actions of Joshua here in the midst of this river crossing for Israel, crossing the Jordan. I'll just read uh, 1 through 3 again. When all the nation finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, "'Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, "'Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, "'from the very place where the priests' feet stood firmly,' And bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. There's a pattern here that's going to show up again in verse 15 where the Lord, Yahweh, He commands Joshua. And then Joshua subsequently commands the men or the people. And then the action occurs in the following through of those commands. So it's the Lord to Joshua to the men. There's action taking place. And so God commands 12 stones to be brought up. No tribe is left out. This is all 12 together, unified for this memorial. And where do they get the stones from? Verse 3 says, The stones are to be from the midst of the Jordan, the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. The stones represent something and they represent where the feet of the priests stood. This represents that peak. The stones they would bring represent that spot where they stood, where there should have been water. God cut it off. And so God, having spoken to Joshua, now Joshua calls to the men, verses 4 through 5. Look at that. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. Chapter 3, verse 12 already prepared us for Joshua doing this. If you look at verse 12, it reads that Joshua said to the people, Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel from each tribe a man. It seemed kind of at that point, a a bit out of place. But here now, more fully, the purpose, the goal is played out. We're not given the size of these stones that they took out. I'm going to imagine they're bigger if they're putting them on their shoulder. I'm thinking they didn't have to do that with this size. So some sort of big stone that these guys, just picture them, 12 guys taking these stones out of the water to where they were going to encamp. But here's... Beginning now, some of the key. What's the purpose? Why these stones? Look at verse 6 into 7. Why? That this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So when your children ask, what does this mean? Here's what you can tell them. It's one of two similar questions as we read it. You know there's another one near the end. It's verse 21. And Joshua explains, this is going to be a sign among you, a memorial, a remembrance. Here's what God has done. God has cut off a swollen river. A river at flood stage, he's cut it off. It's of a God whose presence went before his people and they saw the river part. Can you imagine years later a Hebrew father with his son coming to the edge of the Jordan and looking, and perhaps I don't know how big the pile was of stones? And the boy now, not having maybe experienced this, says, Dad, what what's with the pile of stones? Why are they here? And he gets down, he says, Well, they're here because out there we saw God cut off the waters. We saw God do amazing things. It's a picture of a father teaching, training his son, and proclaiming to his son or daughter a mighty God. Well, verse 8 tells us that Israel then did just as Joshua commanded. So there's the command. And then they're doing it. Command, they follow through, which is wonderful. We don't always see Israel following through, so it was a good, good time for them. Uh, they took up the 12 stone, stones. They set them in the place where they're going to go camping for the night. And they did as it was commanded, and the people obeyed. And then verse 9 says something interesting that we just want to look at a little deeper. Verse 9 says, Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Verse 9 seems to imply that Joshua took an additional 12 stones and set them up in the midst of the river, in the place where the priests had stood. And there are some differing opinions on this. Are, Are there two Heaps of stones, did Joshua go back in and then set up one and and then the water went over it and how is it there to this day and that kind of question? Or was it just one and you know, using the language it kind of just means Joshua took the stones out and set them up and that sort of thing. I kind of went back and forth, but here's where I lean. I lean towards a two-memorial view, that there's two piles going on here. There's one that he's commanded to be brought up. He's going to set that up later in verse 20. But then there's this one that he goes back into the river and sets up again. Based on There's one preposition. Words matter, right? Uh, verse 9, at least in the ESV, it says, Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst. I-N, in the midst. There, there's another Hebrew preposition that could have been used there that, that would say he took them from the midst. He got them from and took them out. This one says it's, it's in the midst. The midst. It can have other meanings. You could maybe find it uh, from there, but I think that's helpful to look at. And then verse 20, again, we, we'll see Joshua setting up the stones at Gilgal. So I think this is, this is, these are separate events. That's why I lean towards two places. Here's an intriguing comment from one of the commentators, A.W. Pink, whom I'll probably quote from quite often. I find his book, if you want to find it, really cheap, buy on Amazon. Gleanings in Joshua, a lot of helpful things through here. But he comments on these two memorials, and I just offer it here for for thought, perhaps. Um, He would say these two memorials coincide with the New Testament call for both the memorial of communion and baptism. I'm going to quote him and let him explain what he means of our New Testament now, communion and baptism. He says, Thus there was a double monument to perpetually commemorate Israel's passing through the place of judgment. What anointed eye can fail to see in them the two signs and memorials which Christ has instituted to symbolize that, as the result of their faith in his atoning death, His people have not only passed through death and judgment, but are now united to a risen Christ and are alive unto God. Christian baptism is designed to symbolize the believer's union with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection, as well as being His personal profession that He is dead to the world and has resolved to walk in newness of life. The Lord's Supper also, while it celebrates... Our passage was with Christ through death, yet it is with the added blessedness and triumph of being now on the resurrection side of judgment. A lot to take in there, but I think his thoughts are at least worth considering. And we need to be careful to not interpret more out of the text than what's here, but I can see the idea of these God's means of grace of communion and baptism as signs to believers in Christ who is the greater Joshua, Jesus, simply the the Greek way of saying Joshua, Christ who has taken believers out of their own Jordan, if you will, their own Jordan crossing, and their memorials of remembrance for our faith and obedience. When we do this, we do this in remembrance of Him. When we baptize, we look back on that and we say, yes, that symbolizes like I'm dead in sin and I'm alive in christ so these two two different memorials worth some thought thinking about well verse 10 for the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the jordan until everything was finished that the lord commanded joshua to tell the people according to all that moses had commanded Joshua, do you hear command, command, passed down just as all these words? The Lord to Joshua, Joshua to the people. There's a sense, as, as I said, Israel, things are rosy. They are following. They're, they're doing, uh, they're following the word of God. They're not departing as we looked at in chapter 1. They're not departing to the right or the left. Joshua, you say get 12 stones, we're going to get 12. We're not going to push 13 or 9. We'll get what you say. It's, we're going to follow your commands. Until all pass over. Uh, even in uh, was it verses 12 through 13, you've got the sons of Reuben, sons of Gad, the half tribe of Manasseh. We talked about them passing over. These tribes, as we looked at in chapter 1, again, they're keeping their commitments. They're honoring the word of the Lord. They're going forward in obedience. And so there's kind of. A I think even with verse 11, there's kind of this, this bookend and into where we're at with Reuben and Gad and half-tribe, kind of this, this section of following, commands, they're doing it, and so forth. So then I believe verse 14, as we come down to verse 14, really summarizes the section. So I want to read that. It says, On that day, the day all this is going on, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, And they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. Joshua chapter 3, verse 7 is fulfilled. Look over at 3, verse 7. What did God say to him? Today I'm going to begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. What God said he would do in this instance, it's fulfilled. And Joshua stands exalted in the eyes of all Israel, and they fear him. They're going to do whatever he commands. And there's a comparison to the people and Moses and and how they revered Moses. They're going to follow Joshua. And now Joshua is the successor to Moses. And even Joshua, a type of one who was to come some 1,400 years later, Jesus so as Joshua here, he's a type of Christ. He's therefore exalted in the eyes of Israel. So too Jesus is so much more exalted by the Lord in His earthly ministry, even which began by being baptized, like we, I think we've talked about before, in this very same river. It would be Christ who Himself, He would go into the waters of death before us to make a way for sinners to be brought back to their God. This greater Joshua in Christ as we see in the New Testament. So Joshua's exalted, points us to the greater exaltation of Christ later on. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Verse 15 then returns us to a familiar pattern. Now you're ready for it. God commands Joshua, Joshua commands the people, the priests, and then there's action. And it's a mighty display of the hand of God. Look at verse 15 and... Through 18, and the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The timing of God here was such that the waters were cut off and held back only as long as God's presence was before Israel in the river. But the very second the foot exits the river, the waters come back just as they had before. God would cut off waters no longer than His perfect timing. One commentary uses this section to confirm just what was holding back the water says this this affirms as clearly as clearly as possible that it was the ark which kept back the stream that's because there's other ideas well maybe there was an earthquake upstream and the earthquake caused a mudslide and the mud went down and i don't know maybe there was but it was god who was holding back the water not a I don't know that we can go to a natural phenomenon. God was doing it. Maybe he used mud. I don't know. But the, how so? When, as soon as the foot leaves, the waters come back. God is the one doing this. God alone. One commentator, Richard Hess, says this. Theologically, so thinking a little bit deeper into it. Theologically, the text inspires a confession of the power of God to control natural forces. God chooses to use these forces through His chosen instruments, Joshua and the priests, to enable His people to attain His promises. It's a helpful line. God uses the forces with His instruments, Joshua and the priests heading through, to enable His people to attain His promises. It goes on to say, For the Christian, this recalls the power of Jesus, of whom the disciples testified, even the winds and the waves obey Him. So then verses 19 through 24 really bring this chapter to a close on this western side now of the Jordan. Verse 19 telling us it was on the tenth day of the first month, that same day that the Passover lamb would be selected. And we're going to look at that a little more in chapter 5 as they celebrate the Passover But for now, Israel is encamped, if you will, on that western side of the river, if you have your map with, at Gilgal. text tells us they're just on the eastern border of Jericho. And so so we're marching closer. We're not there yet, but we're getting closer and closer to Jericho. They had to go through the river and see God at work. In verse 20, if you find verse 20, Joshua takes these 12 stones... Sets them up, and then really 21 through 24 are kind of this closing message, almost a closing sermon, if you will, of Joshua. And so listen to him as he explains this memorial. So Joshua takes them up, puts them around, builds however it looks, and then he begins to speak. And here's his last message. So let's just hear it again, starting at verse 21. He said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? These stones are means of God's work in the life of Israel, in the lives of families that they would remember and recall for themselves and their children that God was at work to make a way for Israel to cross this Jordan. The memorial, it wasn't some interesting artifact. Let's just build something for the sake of building it. There was a purpose, it was a means of God's grace to serve as a reminder of this God who had dried up a river, who had put it in a heap, who had cut off the waters of death, if you will. And they all came across, not by their works, but by a sheer grace of God. So what are they to do? Believe God and obey God follow Him. Look at verse 24 again. We read that. That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. It's a purpose statement. It's why they crossed in this particular way, so that the mighty hand of God would be exalted, not just among Israel, but among all the peoples, all the nations, and so that they would fear the Lord their God forever, that Israel would trust Him, that they would obey Him. So these stones piled up, they're stones of remembrance. Memorials, like we think of communion or baptism or other memorials, or remembering how God provided on a trip. They're times of worship. Say, Lord, I remember how you provide it. They're times of proclaiming the might of our God, and they're times of exalting the Lord. So as I close, I want to... Consider three types of memorials in light of this passage. Three types, could be more. Just three types I'm thinking of of memorials in light of this passage. Number one is physical memorials, kind of the simplest takeaway from this. The memorial, perhaps some of you, and I know some of you, have real stones at home to remember what God did. Take an actual stone, there's a lot of them around, find them. Write on there, God did this on this date. Or or put it in a a notebook or journal. Put ink on a paper. A remembrance of what God has done. Because we forget. So I'd encourage you even to just do that. Physical memorials are good and they're helpful. I have a memorial on my finger. Remember that this was put on by my wife. It's a covenant. It's a reminder. They're all over the place. They're reminders for us. Because we get forgetful. Even in one sense, isn't that all of what God's word is to us? I mean, we're remembering what happened, the crossing of the Jordan, because we have his word before us. So even there, be students of God's word. So physical memorials. Second, grace memorials. Thinking here of the memorial of communion and baptism. Both of those, communion and baptism, means of God's grace. They don't save just means of the ways He works in our life, tools, if you will, of remembrance of the Gospel of Jesus Christ who was crucified on a cross, who died, was buried, and rose again. And communion, when we celebrate with the bread and the cup and remember what His body and His death and His blood of the new covenant did for us, we remember because we forget easy. And baptism, when we look back on it as a symbol of what God has done in the heart already through His Spirit of regeneration, they're tools. So I just want to take a second just to encourage you, if you've not been baptized, if you don't have that symbol of remembrance in your mind, is to perhaps make steps towards that. Talk to me, let me know, or let an elder know that you're interested in that. And then the last one, so physical memorials, grace memorials. The last one, I want you to turn to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. 1 Peter 2, 4. Physical memorials, grace memorials. I just titled this live memorials, living memorials the memorial of living stones. I can't help but see at least some parable, parallels. I'm not saying this is strictly written in light of Joshua 4, but at least as we apply this and look at this, and I think as we find ourselves living stones built up by Christ, see, see that through this passage. So First Peter 2, I'll read 4-12. through 12. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's in Christ. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And now here, think of yourselves as living stones. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Why? Why did He bring you out of death? Why did He bring you over the Jordan? Why are you possession? That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. At least in some sense, as living stones back in Joshua's day that the people of the earth may see the mighty hand of God I'm thinking here that in our living, in our lives, that people around us would see the mighty hand of God in and through us, in our actions, in our words, that our families would, that would be living memorials. Today we dedicated. I mean, the timing of this is God <laughs> worked uh, through even the t- I didn't plan to be on this one while we're doing a dedication, but we dedicate Tristan and Riley, Quinn to the Lord, for their parents and us as a church to raise them up to know Christ so that when kids around us here in this church say, hey, what do those means? Hey, why do we hang that piece of wood up there? What, what's, what's that about? Why do we bring our Bibles? And kids ask lots of deeper questions than that. That's okay. We don't know all the answers, but we'll help them. Our task is to pass on to this next generation the greatness of our God in Christ Jesus, to do what what verse 9 says, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called. Here's a quote from an anonymous author. It says this, Every adult Christian generation owes its young people a divine demonstration of the reality of what it believes and preaches. This cuts here. Let me read it again. Every adult Christian generation owes its young people a divine demonstration of the reality of what it believes and preaches. You hear that? We don't just hear and we're at church and, yes, I read but My life is to demonstrate to the younger generation that I believe in a God who does the impossible, who commands me to obey Him, who is holy, who has sent His Son for me that I might live and to show that to them in how I live, not just what I say, but how I live. May we pass this on to our children, to neighbors, coworkers, the nations around us, pass on the reality of a mighty God who can save, a God worthy of our worship, that our lives might speak truth, but then demonstrate to others the truth of our great God and our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, help us come away from this praying. Perhaps convicted by this quote that our, what we believe and preach has not been demonstrated all that well, that our God has a mighty hand. He cuts off rivers. He cuts into hearts to change. He cuts through bitterness. He cuts through slander. He cuts through past hurts because of Jesus. Lord, may we proclaim the name of Jesus in our lives. May we let our light shine so that others may glorify the Lord and praise You. So Lord, help us. And we praise You, Lord. As we look back, help us to remember. I pray we'd be a people that remember, that can look back and say, God, You've been so faithful. You provided. We saw You. We're not scared. We're not afraid. We've seen you and we remember. Lord, may that give us boldness, Lord, to proclaim your might and to fear your name and obey you as we trust in you. In Jesus' name.